me a mission, I got demons to slay. Communication made you talk in this way. Anxious world. What's going on, everybody? I thank you for tuning in to the Anxiety About Anxiety podcast. I am your host, Keith. I hope everybody out there is staying safe, taking care of themselves and their family, like I always say. Um, we back episode number 49. We're one away from number 50. A number I thought I would never make it to, but um, we're going to make it. And I'm happy to be, you know, a part of it. You know, I'm, I'm so happy that I've been able to to have 50 episodes. Um, it was hard making just the first one. You know, I didn't know what I was getting myself into. I didn't know what, you know, this journey was going, you know, have in store for me. But, you know, so, you know, number 50, man, that's a big milestone. I'm uh, I'm excited to get to it. You know, I'm proud of myself. I'm going to pat myself on the back. I, you know, I normally don't do that, but I'm definitely going to pat myself on the back for this one. And, um, yeah, man, um, we're just moving along. You know, I got some stuff in store for, you know, the podcast that I think is going to be very, you know, insightful and very helpful. Um, I got a couple uh people um that I'm talking to right now that's you know gonna uh you know provide some um you know provide their story. A couple professional uh guests that we're gonna have on um talking about you know how to cope with anxiety, um some type of um you know just some advice that I think would be very helpful to everybody. So we're moving along, man. I got a lot of people that's interested in sharing their stories. So um we got a lot of content. Well. Let me say, I got a lot of content that, you know, I'm going to share with the world and, you know, and try to keep pushing, you know, the mental health awareness culture forward, man. You know, get our stories out there and let people know that, you know, that we're dealing with stuff and that we're not afraid to talk about it. And, you know, you know, just try to um, just be a voice and, um, you know, just being, you know, set examples for people out there that's struggling that. It's okay to go, you know, to, to talk about it and also to go talk to your family or loved ones about it. And don't be scared, man, because um, it's somebody out there that listen to you. I'm I'm very sure it is. You know, I'll listen to you. If you ain't got nobody that you can't talk to, man, you know, I'm always here. I'm, I'm open ears. So we're going to keep this thing moving. Um, tonight, um, I'm going to bring you the story of Emily, Emily Nivelle. I hope I said her name right. I'm so sorry if I butchered that. But yeah, Emily, Emily Nivelle. And um, she's basically going to talk about, you know, she was diagnosed with uh, anxiety, OCD and depression in 2007 while she was in high school. And, you know, uh, she talks about coming from a long line, a long line of uh, anxious women, you know. So that uh, when I heard that, man, you know, it kind of made me think about like myself. I come from a long line of just anxious people in gen- general in my family. So I. I see why people say or I know that it can be hereditary anxiety, uh, you know, things of that nature. So, you know, when she said that, I was like, I can relate to that because, you know, I got a lot of anxious people in my family also. And um, she's going to open up about her fear of like just like having fearful, fearful thoughts. And um, that's one thing anxiety brings along with it, you know, fearful thoughts. And, you know, she struggled with uh, death. Like she thought, you know, she's probably going to uh, die, you know, a lot. And, um I have been through that, so I know that feeling. It's not nice. Um, it's just it was a struggle for me, and you know she talked about that struggle, and um, it was hard for her. You know she didn't really know what was going on with her, as a lot of us don't. You know, it took her some time to you know to figure out that not everybody feels this way, and you know that something was you know 
going on with her. But before that, you know, she had turned to self-harming. You know, she had cut, uh, turned, to, you know, cutting herself to try to cope with it. But, um, you know, that's when she really knew that she was dealing with something that was uh, bad, something that was re really bad. And, you know, she told her family and that's when her family took notice, too. And so, you know, around that time, I think that she said 2007, you know, she was, uh, you know, she went and uh, got help. Her family took her and got help. And that's when she received her diagnosis. And, you know, throughout that process, you know, it was re it was really good for her because she was able to, you know, find new coping skills and, you know, understand herself. And, you know, she figured out what she was dealing with. So it helped her out in the long run. But like all of us, we still struggle. Even though we go get help, we still struggle. And you're going to hear that in her story. You know, she's going to talk about um, um, when she was in college, um, she was sexually assaulted. And that, you know, brought back, you know, that anxiety and that depression. You know, uh, anytime you go through something that horrific and that traumatic, you know, it can really have a, a, a negative effect on us. And, you know, she's going to talk about that and how, you know, after after that happened, you know, she was very cautious on places that she went. You know, she was very nervous around people. You know, she was always watching her back. And so she struggled with that. But, um, you know, she she had all the, the coping skills that she got from her earlier years to help her through that. And so and she's also going also going to talk about um, a relationship with her fiance, with her, uh, her boyfriend that she has right now. Um, he's he also suffers from PTSD. And, you know, she talks about the difficulties of their relationships, uh, of her relationship with him, because at first she didn't know if she could actually be in a re uh, relationship with somebody who basically was bringing extra baggage, you know, in her life. But, you know. They're making it through, you know, in their own unique way, you know, and um, it's uh, it's great to see that, you know, hear that. And um, I think you guys will really get some out of her uh, her story. And I think there's a lot of people out there that probably need to hear her story. So, you know, I'm, I'm very honored and gracious that she was able to open up and let us into her world and, you know, you know, tell us what she's been dealing with and how she's coping with it. I think you guys will love it. It's very uh helpful insightful and um yeah and uh the title of her story um i actually titled it um i couldn't you know i didn't get a title from her so i came up with it myself um she actually has a a, a podcast herself called whining about her story podcast so i kind of played it off of that and just called it her story my life with anxiety and depression so that's what we're going to call her her episode so I hope everybody out there, you know, listen up, man, and, you know, take some notes and, you know, just just be, in, you know, just become a voice. That's the biggest goal of this podcast. Um, once again, is if anybody out there that's dealing with any type of mental health disorders and would like to share their story, um, just email the podcast at anxietyaboutanxiety at gmail.com. And I definitely, definitely get your story out there. Um yeah, and then we'll be back next week with the, the, the 50th episode. I'm so excited about that. So everybody, take care of yourself. Take care of your family. Take care of your mental health. And I'll be back next week. Thank you. My name is Emily. I am from Southeast Minnesota, and I am the co-host of the Whining About Herstory podcast. And I am here to talk about my struggles with anxiety and depression.
So I was diagnosed with a laundry list of mental health conditions in 2007 or 2008 when I was in high school, but I can't remember a time where I wasn't struggling with anxiety. I come from a long line of anxious women who never really had the language to describe their feelings. And growing up, I didn't have the language to describe them either. I feel that most kids growing up have a sense of invulnerability. Bad things happen to other people, not me. And even as adults, we hang on to that feeling. But that wasn't the case for me. Everything I did was preceded with the thought of, how could this hurt me? How could this go badly? And usually the worst case scenario was I would die. And I still have this feeling as an adult. Um, sometimes it's about me dying or being hurt. But a lot of times it's like, okay, how can this go wrong in some dumb way? And this results in a lot of anxiety with phone calls, doctor's appointments, um, anything to do with my job. I'm definitely one of those people where if my boss wants to talk to me, I'm like, all right, I'm getting fired even if there's no reason for it. My mother also reinforced these ideas in me. She was a very anxious woman, and she would prepare me for situations in which someone might try to hurt me. And this is smart for any parent to do. You know, you talk to your kids about stranger danger and not going off with a stranger and what's appropriate for an adult to say to a child. But she would describe these scenarios in great and vivid detail. And so I moved through the world thinking that around every corner was a kidnapper, a murderer, a home invader, or even just a car that was waiting to flatten me. And so I had no sense of invulnerability. I was always just kind of waiting for something to come and hurt me. And I think it would be really easy to put the blame on my mom or be resentful, but I didn't die. I didn't get hit by a car. And actually, someone did try to abduct me and I was able to get out of it because I didn't go with them. And I listened to the advice my mom gave me. And I feel that's a double edged sword with anxiety. You know, it's so hard to live with and it's can be crippling. But sometimes I wonder, you know, what would have happened if I wasn't so anxious, if I wasn't so cautious all the time. That being said, having an anxiety disorder go unchecked wears on you, and there is only so long that you can sustain it. And I started to crumble around middle school. Middle school is already a really tough time for most kids, Um, and I had just moved several states away. I grew up in Illinois. I moved to Minnesota. I didn't know anyone. Uh, I was really insecure and had a lot of issues, and I... started to become depressed. And I wasn't diagnosed with depression until high school, but I think that's when it really started. I think it would have been really easy to dismiss any signs of depression that I was exhibiting because it was a big transitional time in my life. I was really upset about having to move and leave everything I'd known behind. And so I think it was really easy to excuse any signs as angst or just general, you know, middle schoolers are always angsty and miserable on some level, but leaving it unchecked allowed it to get worse. Around this time, though, I did make a friend. Uh, She was one of the first friends I made after I had moved, and she was depressed. She engaged in self-harm 
and openly talked about uh, her suicidal ideations. And I had never encountered anything like that before. I didn't even know what it meant to be suicidal or to cut yourself or anything like that. And I didn't think she was serious because she was always laughing. She would talk about these things and giggle and laugh. And I thought she was just trying to be edgy. Um, We were really good friends. And then one day she just stopped showing up to school. She just disappeared. And no one seemed to know what happened to her. No one talked about it. She just disappeared. And then I found out that she had tried to complete suicide by overdosing. And I realized that it wasn't just talk. It wasn't just her being edgy. It was serious and I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. And I carry a lot of guilt about that still. Um, As far as I know, she's doing well now, but I am still disgusted with myself for not having said anything. I think in part because of that, I became more interested in mental health issues and uh, I found a group of friends who were all very open about talking about those things. Um, Everyone was pretty healthy, but you know, everyone kind of had their own issues and uh, that's when I started to suspect something was wrong with me. You know, I started to realize that the constant anxiety and feelings of hopelessness weren't normal. You know, I thought it was just the daily grind and, you know, just the exhaustion from living. And doesn't everyone walk around thinking that they might just die today? Apparently not. So I tried talking to my parents uh, about my suspicions that there was something wrong with me and... They have always been very supportive and caring, but I don't think that they had the tools and understanding to confront what I was experiencing and what I was presenting with them. Just like I didn't have the tools to confront what my friend was going through in middle school. They told me it was probably a phase or just stress from school and I can't, I can't blame them because in all respects, I was a, a normal, seemingly happy person. I had friends. I was on the swim team. I did okay in school. But uh, this, this idea that there was something mentally wrong with me, I don't think aligned with what they were seeing in me. And I would just get over it. And... It wasn't until I began cutting myself that they realized how serious the situation was. And I think that's when I realized how serious it was too. Self-harm helped me cope with my anxiety and depression, but it also made it feel real. No one could tell me it was a phase or that I was just tired or that it was nothing. You know, I could look at my wounds and acknowledge that, no, I am going through something and this is real and this is how I'm coping with it, which obviously was terribly unhealthy. My parents immediately got me help and I began going to a psychiatrist. That's when I got my diagnoses of depression, obsessive compulsive disorder, and an anxiety disorder. Having names for these things was such a cleansing experience. 
so it, it was affirmative. It wasn't normal to live in fear. And I wasn't crazy for feeling this way. I had a name for these feelings and I had something to fight. The, this revelation didn't stop my downward spiral, though. Uh, I was already pretty deep in it, and my self-harm escalated, and I was in and out of the hospital, and I contemplated suicide, not because I wanted to die, but I just wanted everything to stop. I just wanted to step out of my life for a bit, and that seemed to be the only way that could happen. I began to isolate myself more and more, and I was just completely convinced no one understands what I'm going through. No one understands how I'm feeling. Uh, thankfully, though, with the continued support of my parents and friends, along with therapy and finally finding a combination of medications that worked, I began to gain control over my mental health. And it has been 10 years since I last cut myself. And the urge is still there. It uh, sneaks up on me at my worst moments, but... One of, the, one of the big reasons I don't do it, not just because I have good coping mechanisms now, but I don't want to break my, my streak. I can't start over and then wait another 10 years. <laughs> Maintaining my mental health has always been a struggle. This wasn't something that I conquered and moved on from. And that became really clear when I was 19 years old. I was in college and I was sexually assaulted. And... I started to go back into that downward spiral and I was I was angry, I was full of shame, but I had the tools to start dealing with these feelings better and I sought help from a campus counselor uh, who helped me work through the event without me completely spiraling out of control and I was able to keep from hurting myself and I was able to maintain the course so to speak and I was really proud of myself for how I dealt with that and when I finally told my mom what had happened one of her first concerns other than my immediate safety was if I had hurt myself and I was so happy to tell her that I hadn't and she was so proud of me and she went through a lot when I was uh at my worst with my mental health. And so I think that was a really great moment for her. I think it was really reaffirming that I was going to be okay and I could take care of myself. And maybe she didn't have to worry about me as much. The trauma of that assault still follows me. Uh, I have nightmares and heightened anxiety. I am constantly uh, keeping my situational awareness up, looking over my shoulder when I'm out in public. Uh, I'll avoid certain areas uh, walking around at certain times of day and I'm constantly waiting for when someone tries to do that to me again it's it doesn't feel like an if it feels like a when um, something that's been really cool though is the more I process it and the more I draw strength from surviving my dreams change so when I would have nightmares about the assault, I was helpless. Uh, I either couldn't move or couldn't scream. And they slowly progressed to where I would fight back in the dreams, but it would be ineffective. And now in my dreams, I go completely berserk and it works. And I think that's just my brain processing how I'm feeling more empowered and more uh, 
able to take care of myself and defend myself. I try to put my mental health and taking care of myself above everything else, uh, which has made it easy to remove myself from unhealthy situations or remove unhealthy people from my sphere. Uh, In 2015, I met my boyfriend and there was this instant spark and we really clicked. And then I found out he had uh, PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder from his military service. Uh, He served overseas in Iraq. And I had heard stories from our mutual friends about when he had come home from overseas. And they all painted a picture of someone who was coping with their trauma in very self-destructive ways. And I remember thinking to myself, I can't date him. (laughs) I can't deal with someone else's baggage along with my own. That's just not sustainable. I couldn't risk my, uh, my own mental health. But the more I got to know him, the more I liked him. And uh, after years of therapy, programs, and hard work, it was clear he too had found stability in his life and was coming out of the other side of something dark. On our first date, we found out we actually took some of the same medications to cope with our anxiety. And uh, it helped us to understand each other and our anxieties with empathy that was earned through experience. And I feel a lot of people who struggle with anxiety, they're able to empathize with other people easily. They just, they're very sensitive to other people's emotions and they, they feel things more deeply. So dating someone with PTSD comes with its own set of unique challenges. Uh, and they're ones that my friends can't relate to. Going out into public is a race against the clock. If it's too crowded or loud, he won't last long. Uh, We need to be ready to hit the eject button at any time for whatever reason. If we haven't found what we're looking for in the store, we just have to leave. Um, And there are some things that we simply can't do together. We've never been to a movie theater together. We don't go to concerts or festivals or fairs or anything that's going to be loud and crowded. We get around it, though. We, uh, we find our own ways to go out and have fun. So for our four-year anniversary, uh, I took a weekday off of work so we could go to the aquarium at the Mall of America. And we specifically chose a weekday because it meant the place would be completely deserted. And it was wonderful to just move through the world without having to worry about everyone else around us. And then uh, we took a trip to the Field Museum in Chicago, and we specifically planned it in September when all the kids would be back in school, and then uh, during the week, so that the place would be pretty empty. I am not just my partner's girlfriend. I'm his caregiver. I help manage his medications. I help make appointments. I go to appointments with him. Uh, I help him cope when he's having an episode. And that took a lot of time to find the balance between being a caregiver and a romantic partner because it doesn't seem like those two things can coincide for long. Um, And it's still something we struggle with, but through open communication and understanding, we're usually able to talk our way through any situation. It is really hard, though, to keep someone else's head above water when you're trying to keep your own. Uh, Sometimes it was like a frog in boiling water. The heat just turned up so steadily that I didn't even realize I was in trouble until I was already boiling alive. 
I had stopped going to therapy years ago when my insurance made it prohibitively expensive. Thankfully, I was able to find free counseling through a service that helped veterans and their loved ones. And in my first therapy session, I completely vomited my feelings uh, for the whole hour. And I didn't even realize how badly I needed to talk until I was already there. And I actually stopped and apologized to the therapist for talking so much in my own session. We've been together now uh, almost five years. And we both regularly employ the tools that we've learned in therapy to help and support each other. And it's, it's different, but I'm so happy to be in a loving relationship that is built on mutual respect and understanding. While I would never say I'm thankful for my anxiety, I do acknowledge that it comes with its own strengths. Being an anxious person allows me to be very in tuned with other people's feelings, and I feel that... I'm able to empathize with people more. It also gives me an advantage in my professional life uh, because I'm someone who's always imagining the worst case scenario. It helps me be more prepared when working on projects and I usually have plans A through Z set up before something bad happens. While coping with my anxiety and trying to fend off my depression is a constant battle, I honestly don't know who I would be without it. My anxiety is such a significant part of me. It's so much a part of my personality and the way I look at the world. I think I would be an entirely different person if I didn't have it. And I don't know if that would be a good thing, but I've grown to like the person I am. And while I'm not thankful for my anxiety, I can acknowledge that it's a part of me and I can accept that.